Hi, Ellie. Thank you very much for joining us on the uh, the Why We Move podcast. Thank you for having me. Nice to see you. So, if we can just start with a little introduction for those people who don't who don't know you, haven't come across your work. Uh, who are you, and what do you do? My name is Ellie Grace, and I am primarily a yoga teacher. But really, I train yoga teachers how to work with trauma and create social change and take the practice into places where it isn't accessed, places like schools, mental health clinics, universities, prisons, wherever they want to take their work. And I help them to grow their business in the process. And I also lecture medical students in the neurophysiology of yoga. So really looking at the mind-body connection and understanding how yoga supports mental and emotional well-being and spiritual development. So really, in short, I call myself a yoga educator. A yoga educator. Um, and how did you come to yoga? When did your your practice start? Presumably yoga was the base that everything else grew on. Yeah, I came to it as a real skeptic, actually, about 12, 13 years ago. I'd never practiced before, but I went through a really dark and difficult time in my late 20s when I lost my dad to a brain tumor and then got really savagely dumped by my boyfriend at the time. He was a long-term boyfriend and we were sort of on the path to getting married and having kids and stuff. And my life got completely turned upside down by those two events. And I was actually a chef and a food writer and a restaurateur at the time. And I was really thrown into the deep end of restaurant life when these two things happened. Like we just opened our restaurant. So we were working sort of 70 or 80 hours a week to keep this thing going. And then these two major losses in very quick succession. Um, and somebody who came to work at our restaurant actually recommended that I go and see this meditation teacher locally who'd helped her through some work challenges and I was really skeptical but something in me was curious and willing to try it I think I'd seen a couple of therapists and counsellors or something at that point and I hadn't found that the talking therapy was sort of helping me to shift and process the grief and the heartbreak that I was going through so anyway I did go along to meditation class with this teacher and I connected with it instantly and for those people who aren't aware meditation is actually what we do once we've done our physical yoga practice the moving traditionally the moving and coming in and out of yoga postures what we call asanas are there to prepare us to sit and meditate but I actually went in the other way around so I started meditating with this teacher and I found that stillness and that sort of mental peace and clarity um, really really valuable and it helped me to recognize that a lot of the pain and suffering that I was going through because of my grief was actually even though it was physically painful my heart was broken so much of the suffering was coming from my mind. It was coming from the stories that I was telling myself about what this meant for my life and what it meant for me as, the, you know, as a person. And um, I was adding a lot of narrative onto this already painful situation. And the meditation process helped me to recognize that 
and start to create space between my thoughts and my actual experience. And it was from there that I started to practice what I think of as moving meditation, i.e. yoga, with that same teacher. And that's when my journey deepened and I, you know, and I began to add the, the physical um, practice of moving through these different asanas into my so, life. So that first class, that first sort of meditation experience, that was sitting around in a circle on beanbags, kind of yeah. breathing and being yeah. led on a kind of a, a kind of breathwork journey for the want of a less cliche yeah. word. Yeah, exactly that. It was mindfulness of breath, which is a practice where you, yeah, you sit cross-legged if you can. Uh, we have mugs of herbal tea. I remember it was in this sort of basement underneath the church in Clapham. I And I found the whole thing really weird. I was like, what am I doing here? This isn't me. This is my thing. But it was so soothing and so calming. And, and that was exactly the practice of sitting with your with your spine straight. And that's a really sort of key thing in or meditation and yoga practice because we think of the spine as being like the the axis through which our life force runs basically when you slump you know obviously your your chest is a bit closed your diaphragm is uh, sort of hunched over so just lengthening the spine and opening yourself up that way sort of prepares you for meditation and then it's all about yeah just observing your breath as it comes and goes which is really difficult at first but then becomes um a practice that opens and yields and gets easier the more you do it but also obviously the purpose of that is to help still a busy mind and had you done anything like that before no it as i say it was really foreign to me it felt really woo woo <laughs> this was um yeah, 12 or 13 years ago. So sort of before the current trend for woo -woo. yoga and wellness and woo-woo. <laughs> yeah. So if, I was judging myself, you know, I was like, what are you doing here? This is so yeah. weird. Yeah. Um, and if you hadn't gone through those two traumatic events, your father passing and uh, relationship ending, presumably, you, A, you would never have gone to that class. But if you had gone to that class because you'd lost a bet or you'd uh, you know been forced to go for it, do you think you would have had the same response? Do you think you would have been ready really for it, question. been open for that? That's a, such a good question. I've never Thank thought you. that, and neither has anybody ever <laughs> asked me that. Um, on the one hand, yes, because predating those losses – I also suffered from anxiety and I'd had a couple of really terrifying panic attacks several years beforehand. Um, I'm prone to overthinking and I think very deeply about things. And so I'd say that's a sort of um, a challenge that I've always faced in my life. So on the one hand, yes, I could well have gone to that class and connected with it and found it very useful and very valuable. And on the other hand, I think there was something about that really seismic loss and the seismic pain that it caused that also became an opening for deeper inquiry and certainly deeper spiritual inquiry because so much of what I was thinking about at that time was why do we live? What's the purpose of this? Why do we suffer? How do we relieve suffering? What's the point? Um, 
I, I had so many sort of philosophical and spiritual questions spinning that in in a sense, I think the practice actually found me rather than me going in search of it. Yeah, because I, I asked the question because I think what I see a lot with clients, and I'm sure when you were doing more, which will maybe come on to more traditional yoga instructing and teaching classes and teaching one-on-one clients and things like that, which I know you don't really do now, but I always come across or came across and still come across people who kind of come to fitness, come to training or whatever it is, and it doesn't stick. And then you come some people who have never done any and it does stick. And it's just, it seems so often that it is, there's a time of your life where you're ready to commit to something new, ready to commit to something that often you're it's different with yoga, but you're, you're not good at, you find difficult, you don't necessarily always enjoy, but you know, there's some benefit to it. And I mm. think it, it's often, I find sort of in people and not always, but you know, twenties, thirties, you you kind of come in and out of these things when you've got competing work and relationships and things like that. And often they don't stick. You get into running or people get into swimming or triathlons or whatever, but it doesn't stick. And it's not till a few years later or you have something that makes it stick. And it sounds like maybe that that's not necessarily the case in your instance that you you had various things that made that accessible but were there things you'd done before i mean in your teens and 20s did you play sport but do it because you had to and you didn't really enjoy it or was there yeah. was there forms of movement that that did kind of connect but you weren't in a place to commit to or did were you just never never that interested it's funny i was i was thinking about that in preparation for this conversation um that I was very, I was, I was pretty good at sport when I was at school, and I was in school sort of swimming teams and tennis teams and netball teams, not at the top of the league, but but a good sports woman. Um, but never, it was not like it, I was. <laughs> I was raised in a family that sort of looked down its nose at sport and people who were into sport. Like <laughs> it was you something know, it was, you did rather than. It was something you had to do yeah. at school, but like my, you know, my dad was into cricket. My parents were into tennis, a bit of tennis. But I have two older brothers; they had absolutely zero interest in sport. Um, so I was sort of raised with this idea that sport was sort of for stupid people, and that you know it wasn't. You're on the pursuing. right podcast. <laughs> I know. I knew that that was not necessarily <laughs> going to go down very well. Um, but so, so again, that's why. But I, I raised that because, um, yeah, I've always seen sport and movement as like these sort of things that you have to do, but which aren't don't really fit me. Um, and I'm not. I don't feel very naturally inclined to do them. And then, you know, getting into yoga, as again, as I said before about meditation, I was sort of judging myself because I was like, this is so weird. This, I'm trying on this thing that that it doesn't feel naturally very me because I'm not a natural sort of mover and sports person. But it completely reoriented my sense of what my body is and sort of helped me to really redefine again actually a sense all my preconceived ideas that I had about who I thought I was and I think people who are listening who know what yoga does from the inside out will will understand that and perhaps people who aren't familiar with it will will find that quite strange um but it also I guess what it really did was remind me that the body 
And this is where I, you know, started to understand much more about trauma eventually down the line. But I started to really recognize that the body holds on to our experiences. And therefore, it's through the body that we have the opportunity to come face to face with those experiences, build resiliency towards, you know, the difficulty of them um, and ultimately process them and release them. But in answer to your question, you know, the short answer is no, I wasn't really a sort of physically minded person. I love dancing and stuff like that, but not sporty. And do you think the your experience would have been different or the 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 path you took would have been different if that first class you went to was a yoga class, not a meditation class? So if it was a, you know, a, a mat based yoga class with five minutes of breathing and meditation at the end, do you think it would have sort of instantly grabbed you like it did where it was breathing and meditation for the for the majority of it quite possibly quite possibly I think for me it was the teacher who was so compassionate and held space which is a you know really common term in in the world of sort of therapeutics to hold space for another person is is sort of honoring what they bring into the room, um, nurturing them that in that, and you know, being compassionate and non-judgmental, and 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 allowing somebody the room to be with what is coming up. So that same teacher, he was leading those meditation classes, and it was with him that I started practicing yoga. But I often think about this and have thought about this a lot in my journey since that. You know, a lot of people have put off yoga and it may well just be because they didn't connect with the teacher. They didn't enjoy what the teacher was teaching or how they held space or how they welcomed somebody into the room. And the thing about yoga is that it does attract a lot of people who are in pain and who are suffering and and potentially quite vulnerable. And if you're not welcomed into the space um, or you're made to feel you know excluded or singled out or belittled and this is all again stuff that we you know really talk about in a trauma-informed approach then people will turn away and they'll say that's not for me it didn't feel safe there I didn't feel comfortable if you don't feel safe and comfortable then you can't do your healing you know that is a prerequisite for healing so as I say I think that teacher just held me in a way that I you know energetically and emotionally in a way that I really needed at that time it's great um and so you then started your yoga practice I mean just quickly because we'll we'll get on to the, mm. the 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 bit that you're doing now more but just just to get us up to where we are now how what did that look like sort of starting going classes weekly then you do your yoga instructor training and, and that sort of thing what, what was that kind of period like yeah, I was so I was running my restaurant, so I would cycle uh, in the evenings to the yoga studio in the in the church um, hall sort of place. Um, like again, as I say, it was just it was the only place that I felt like I felt safe and where I could relieve myself of this pain that I was in, and it was a very spiritual experience for me. I felt myself changing very deeply from the inside out. And 
It was that same teacher who said, I think you're ready to go and do your teacher training. And I was like, oh, I don't want to be a yoga teacher. You know, I've got my restaurant and I've got my cookbook and, you know, that's the path I'm on. He was like, no, but I think you really get a lot from the training. A lot of people do that. It's quite common to to just go and do that sort of intensive training and go deeper into the subject. So I was like, okay. In fact, at that point, I had had this was maybe about a year into my practice, 10 months or something. And I'd had a massive meltdown. I'd just woken up one day and was like, I cannot run this restaurant anymore. I really need to take some time for myself, pr- probably process the grief. Um, I was really difficult to be around. My emotions were all over the place. It was total haywire. So I agreed with my friend and business partner that I would take some time off and go traveling and just like dive into my yoga teacher training and just see you know see what happened and leave her to run our business and she was very generous with that so <clears throat> i went off to this ashram in the bahamas and did my 200 hour teacher training and again that was like what the hell you're sort of in this what felt like a tropical correctional facility it was like being in a prison but on this sliver of incredible Bahamian beach with the most beautiful crystal clear blue sea which you never had time to get into because you know the bell would ring at five o'clock in the morning and you'd have to come down and meditate cross-legged for two hours and then uh, get on with your karma yoga duties and practice you know it was just like 15 hours a day of constant spiritual practice and training in Shivananda yoga. And it was absolutely incredible, mind-blowing, a real-life experience. Um, and it was that as I came out of that, and, you know, you don't have any meat, you don't have any alcohol. I was a smoker at the time, so it's none of that. Although I think I did have a couple on the beach uh, so sort of late <laughs> at night um no coffee it was all very you know very strict diet and very strict rigorous practice breathwork meditation all sorts of really bizarre sort of medieval what are called kriyas which are like cleansing techniques where you have to down like liters of warm salty water and then sounds great know, vomit it back up again that sounds why you awful. want to go to the caribbean i mean <laughs> i know i know and there'd be all these cruise ships going past <laughs> having like parties and looking at the ashram you know so sort of laughing at us and you'd be looking at them going oh um yeah so but i came out of that whole experience very um basically sort of like cleaned from the inside out is the only way i can describe it and feeling very resonant and radiant and sort of on a spiritual high um and I later realized some years later that what I'd actually been through was what's called a kundalini awakening which is quite hard to describe but it's basically when from a sort of energetic point of view all of your chakras get like sort of cleansed and and burst open in a sense all these energetic centers in you um like a deep clean oh yeah very difficult to describe people should look it up though it's interesting (laughs) completely changes your consciousness basically like a deep clean that changes your consciousness but i had this very clear vision at the end of that that 
this was work that was so deeply healing and that I wanted to take this take this practice into places like prisons and hospitals and anywhere where there was suffering that was you know that was my vision and yeah and and did you because that feels like such a a fundamental change from what you were doing living you know stressful life of running your restaurant which for those who were in south london at the time was amazing um place in brixton market fantastic wraps sorely missed um but did you did you have some apprehension going back to that world that people would judge you that you would lose some friends that you would lose some relationships that you would be tempted back to the dark side or you know that you were either faking your new life or your last life wasn't real and because it feels like such a fundamental change and I think lots of people probably try yoga and have those things but then aren't brave enough or in a safe enough place or whatever to to commit to it because they're well I work in the city or I'm a I'm a this I'm a that I'm not a you know yoga teacher I, I I can't do that how how did that kind of adjustment coming back from you know that world where everything is that to the back where you've got buses flying past you and people shouting at you and yeah you're going to the pub and let that's how you socialize and catch up rather than sitting downing liters of salty water yeah yeah (laughs) thank you for asking that question thank you so much because and it's incredibly perceptive of you to ask that um and again i think it's been really difficult for me to integrate that experience and for the people around me to understand what was going on because I certainly, I never sorted out, like that wasn't what I was going for. I'd never even heard of a Kundalini awakening, didn't even know at the time that that's what I was going through. Um, And it was tempered somewhat because after I left the ashram, I moved to, not moved, but I I went traveling in California on my own for a couple of months. So I was away on this sort of four month journey, taking this break from my restaurant. And I went on to California where I just continued to have a really wild, mad time, like because I was in this completely different state, feeling very open very creative, full of sort of love and the life force of the universe. I I met some seriously interesting, nutty, wonderful and wild people. California is the place to do it. <laughs> yeah, it was a great place to do it. Um, had a love affair with a clown. It was just, <laughs> it was mad. <laughs> um, and then, yeah, when I did come back to London, it was really clear I didn't want to go back to the restaurant and I had to have really difficult conversation with my friend and business partner and say I'm going in a different direction and this sort of marriage effectively it had been like we were married we were so close and so deep in in each other's lives this has to come to an end um and for a long time I was really lost um I didn't know how to articulate the experience that I've been through and I did lose friends for a time because yeah they were they were doing things that didn't work for me anymore like drinking and you know partying and I I just suddenly wasn't available for those things I wasn't interested in them and obviously that's really difficult for people who've 
known you for a long time and have been doing those things with you it was really painful on both sides basically I didn't I knew that I couldn't fit back into my old life and I didn't know what the next step was and so I sort of drifted around for a while trying to work that out and really trying to work out like have I lost my mind have I gone mad what is this new sort of awareness that I've been given um how do I ground it how do I live in this world and exactly that thing that you said about the buses going past and people shouting at each other that's exactly how I felt I remember when I left the ashram and landed in San Francisco was like whoa this world is so intense and the noise because you can imagine that an ashram it's like it's so quiet and the only noise that you hear is people sort of singing these Sanskrit chants and um there's no conflict there's no aggression everybody's very mild and and peaceful uh so yeah the, the outside world was felt very threatening uh it felt very ill like it felt very sort of unwell and it took it took a long long time to to get back to things so i'd say about a year after that teacher training ashram experience that's when i realized I really want to get back to California. That's where I want to be in that climate, in that landscape. I'd really got into hiking as a form of sort of grief release and grief processing. Um, and I'd really fallen for the California landscape and the big outdoors and the scale of things um, and the wonderful food and like a very spiritually advanced place. A lot is sort of like described as a bit of a spiritual supermarket. Um, and I just knew that that's where I wanted to be, that there was a language being spoken there that I felt safe and comfortable with that just wasn't available in London, which was very sarcastic and cynical and, you know, <laughs> um, all these things that I had been, but, you know, just wasn't anymore. Um, so I, I woke up one day and was like, I want to. I want to go further into yoga. I need to understand what the hell just happened. Like I'd had, a, I'd got a bit of space from it by that point, And I needed to know what had happened to me neurologically, what had happened in the inner workings of my brain and my body that felt like I'd just been shot out into the cosmos and landed back down in a different skin and a different body on planet earth. Like what the fuck was that so um <laughs> so I woke up one day and I was like if I had the choice if I could do a master's in a, a master's degree in yoga that's what I would want to do and I googled it and there were like three programs in the world I was like whoa I didn't even know that was a thing okay and one of them was in California in Southern California in LA so um, I knew that it was like a long shot. Like, I don't have the money to get there. I don't have a visa. Um, you know, why would they Why would they accept me onto their program, blah, blah, blah. Uh, this is just like the biggest, hardest reach that I can ever imagine. But I applied and I got offered a place on this master's program. And I ended up moving there. And so you obviously realized something had happened to you and you've talked about the sort of neurologically and the pathways had adjusted and your neurological pathways had adjusted and stuff like that so you obviously kind of 
saw that there was some science to it. It wasn't just woo woo. It wasn't just how you felt. There were you you kind of started to think that something scientific that is re- therefore repeatable, that is measurable, and all the things that make science science, rather than just art or you know that th- there was something there for you, and you wanted to to learn more about that and get into the the science side of it, I guess, as well as the kind of feeling and emotional and spiritual side of it. Yeah, absolutely. I think on the one hand, I wanted to understand scientifically what just happened to me. And then scientifically, how can I, how can I um, understand the evidence basis for this practice and how and why it works, because I'm going to want to teach it to other people back in the UK who are going to be very sceptical and who think it's woo-woo. So I need to know the science to show that this is valuable and that there is an evidence basis. And just to be clear, like it wasn't like I was the first person who'd thought of this. You know, there were people in my sort of um, orbit who were also teaching yoga to... Um, war veterans or to prison inmates or to you know at-risk youth um, in gangs and whatever but and I was really influenced by those few people that I could see doing that and understood you know that they'd kind of found out the science as well yeah and I, I think on a micro level we all understand that moving whether it's yoga or going for a run can clear the cobwebs of a shitty day or an argument with a loved one or you know you've had a a tough day at work or whatever it is and does did the 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 learnings on the masters kind of teach you that on a macro level so as you got into the not just having a, a shitty day at work but a traumatic childhood event child abuse or a domestic abuse or you know whatever war veterans etc does the does the yoga practice work on the same level but just it's a deeper cut rather than just a bad day yeah yeah that's it and also the thing about yoga is that it works on different levels so we have this idea in a sort of old ancient um yoga physiology that 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 we have five bodies um the physical all the way down to sort of the emotional the food body the spiritual body um and that what the practice does is sort of peel back the layers from the outside in what what we call from the gross to the subtle and it's that subtle energy that we're really working with when we peel back those layers so that's how the practice helps to reveal to you what your mental processes are how your emotions are impacted by your mental processes and how those things sort of have residence in a sense in the body and how those things in turn collectively um, sort of cloak the the soul or the spiritual self. And that's very different, obviously, to a game of tennis or a run, which is much more about the physical, you know, moving your physical body to then sort of, you know, clear the cobwebs, as you say, and, and find that sort of mental um, clearing that goes on. So there's this sort of way of viewing the body and the the different layers of it and the energetic systems within it and what we call prana, which is like life force that circulates around us. Um, 
with the understanding that different practices will manipulate different energy systems and flow of energy um, via the nervous system. The other thing to say about it as well is that because we use so much intention and attention during yoga practice, we're connecting the mind and, a, mind and body in a way that we might not be if we're playing tennis or going for a run. And it's that level of focus, that sort of mental attention and intention, um, again, that has its own sort of healing power. And all of this is proven. This is all research, tested, multiple peer-reviewed studies and things like that. But it, how do you balance that when you're talking to friends, family, with the woo-woo and the science and getting people to believe what you've just said and getting them to understand that it is, and I guess also working with trauma victims, that it is a, not better necessarily, that it is a viable alternative to just taking more pills, to just mm. taking more medicine and that that will do it. How do you get people who haven't done it or who have been so traumatized that the idea of just breathing and moving mindfully is going to fix them better than a, a red pill and a blue pill three times mm. a day. How do you kind of find that balance? Mm. For me, and this I guess is the locus of my work, it's about being able to explain to people in really quite simple and everyday terms what purpose of our nervous system is and how the nervous system exists to detect threats and danger and how that operates in the presence of threat so that they can understand the sort of cascading effect that then is triggered throughout their the rest of their nervous system their hormones um, and to ultimately understand that when they respond to threats that is all instinctive and happens in you know a split second and is not until they become aware of it under their control. And yet what happens when people experience trauma is that they start to feel, you know, commonly that they're mad or that they've lost the plot or that they can't control themselves and that their emotions are all over the place and um, they don't know who they are, they don't feel safe in their body or skin, they don't trust themselves, they don't trust their responses they don't trust anybody else and so when you can explain to people that what's happened has been sort of effectively like the trip in the wiring has has gone on it's not you it's not your fault it's not your madness this is your body's response to something and here are some tools and some ways that we can start to you know turn off that alarm system that's ringing in your body that for me, is the way that I get people on board and get people to understand how these practices can help them to choose better, safer responses to threat. And after that master's, how did you then bring your your learnings back to the UK? How How is the UK and London compare as an environment to work in and have those conversations and where do you yeah so I guess let's start with that so how mm. how did that all come back to the UK and how have you kind of 
embedded that into your your work here yeah so um I came back to the UK I think about seven years ago and it was really tough going for the first few years because I knew that I was bringing information over that people weren't yet ready for and they are now because our sort of global understanding of trauma and mind-body studies and yoga is so much more developed now. I think people are, have had a lot of sort of prep in this area. Um, so it took me quite a long time to sort of have the confidence to position myself as somebody who knew what they were talking about. Um, <laughs> Just to be clear, to... you do. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> But, you know, I was also faced with all this imposter syndrome, like, who am I to teach other yoga teachers? I've only been doing this X number of years. You know, I thought that if you were teaching other yoga teachers, you had to be in your 60s and you had to be, you know, with white hair. And, um, you know, I had a whole load of sort of um, limiting beliefs, basically, that I had to work through in order to really, really remind myself that I knew what I was talking about and that I had information that, that would be valuable to others. Um, so I started offering, um, this is about four or five years ago now, I started offering my teacher training program and that started out as a weekend long in-person training. And it was amazing actually, it had a really good response. I had about 18 people join and somebody flew in from the US, somebody else flew in from India and I really realized this is, you know, this is really needed and I can do this. And I loved it. And it felt so, it just felt like the culmination of all of my experience and study coming together in one one wonderful place. And now that has developed into, it then developed into a month-long training and it's now developed further into a four-month-long training. So it just keeps sort of reiterating itself, yeah. And you're now teaching so that four that four month program is for sort of yoga instructors yoga teachers to come and come and learn with you for a kind of four month mentorship training program but you're also working within universities and teaching medical students trying to tell us a little bit about that yeah so um yeah about about four or five years ago as well i uh, i started working with medical students at Queen Mary University in East London and while I had been doing my master's program in America I'd basically said yes to every teaching opportunity that came my way um, and that included working with war veterans at UCLA at this um, Semmel Institute of Neuroscience and Human Behaviour and I'd also taught this program to undergraduates um, in the university actually a mixed group of undergraduates all about the sort of introduction to yoga not just the practice but also the philosophy and the culture and the ethics and um again that was to help students with their mental health and personal development and I'd loved that and it had given me a really good indicator as to what kind of work I wanted to do ongoing I realized I really like working with that age group who are so open-minded and malleable and you know on the brink of going out into the world and, and becoming fully grown adults um and naturally curious and inquisitive 
Um, so yeah, when I was resituated here back in London, I I went to this panel discussion at Queen Mary, um, and it was a very theoretical conversation, gathering together different members of of university departments asking can we teach well-being in universities and it was a great conversation but it was purely theoretical no one was actually coming up with any sort of practical solutions so I stuck my hand up at the end and I said I've got a program that I've taught to um, medical um, undergraduates in America all about how to, you know, take care of yourself as a, as a student, you know. From it was lucky, down. wasn't it? Just yeah, <laughs> it was a real divine timing. <laughs> and I said, kind of, you know, who do I speak to about bringing this here? And and I was sitting right in front of two women from the medicine school, and they said, you can you can chat to us. So I put in a proposal, um, and a few months later, I started teaching that, and it was just, oh, it was just so rich and satisfying and obviously I was terrified before I started doing it because I was like oh but they're medical students like they know they'll find me out (laughs) exactly I'm just a yoga teacher like they probably think this is like the easy option that they've selected um but actually it married really well what they already understood about the biomechanical workings of the body with a more um basically holistic view of the body and so it was a really nice combination of physical practice, but also discussion, looking at the evidence basis, uh, reading articles, um, and helping them to really make that that intimate connection themselves to to link up their minds with their bodies, and you know to recognise what their sort of personal patterns were and how to shift them and everything. Um, so really nice blend of yeah education, movement, mentoring. Um, and again, you know, those medical students, they tend to be very static, hunched over computers and, and books, um, very, very unaware of their own bodies, very um, caught up and stressed and overwhelmed and under pressure. And also there's a real taboo within that um professional group around needing help or admitting that things are hard or you know being emotional in any way <clears throat> so I feel like the the program just helped you know and to date I think over 500 students have taken part in that it's just helped so many students understand themselves better um, so I love that work very much and I'm currently working to try and expand it to other universities around the UK that's great and where do you see yoga as part of recovery from trauma like how is it in the uk is it widely available is it something that is on the kind of checklist of things that patients are are offered is it you the patient has to know about it and be proactive about it like how 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 widely available is it it's, a, it's sort of hard to say, I think. I would say that it's, um, you know, its roots are, are growing and spreading here in the UK. Um, one thing that the NHS is doing is something called social prescribing, where it, rather than prescribing medicine to people, it's prescribing things like local gardening clubs and running groups and yoga. Um, 
I wouldn't have said that necessarily all the teachers who are signed up to be sort of on the end of that social prescribing are trauma informed. I, I have no idea. I don't even know how many yoga teachers are, you know, sort of on GPs uh, contact lists. Um, but there's certainly a growing awareness in the field of yoga itself that the practice needs to be trauma informed. I think because it attracts so many people who are suffering that's the sort of main purpose of yoga is to reduce suffering and raise you know raise your consciousness um my feeling and my mission and my desire is that all yoga becomes trauma-informed just you know as a as an essential component of the practice um but I understand also that not everybody is interested in it. So what tends to happen with yoga teachers, you know, the way that you carve out your own career is that you take, you know, you do your 200 hour training and then you, you, you bolt on trainings as you go through your teaching life. So there's no one pathway. Uh, it just depends what you're interested in and what you want to learn and what skills you want to develop. So everybody sort of carves their own path, but my big, my big hope is that all yoga becomes trauma informed so that all yoga is safe and healing and it's not true that all yoga currently is there are there are certain styles and practices that just aren't going to be helpful for people who are traumatized so that would be the ideal would be that as part of that 200 hour yoga certification you have to do a module or you know 10 hours or whatever it is as sort of trauma informed and that needs to be a not a box that you tick but part of that certification that would be yeah. the end, end game yeah so that you have that that skill set and that awareness so that you, whoever comes to your classes or whoever you work with you've got a much deeper understanding of what might well be going on for them and you know how to work with that person rather than potentially, you know, giving them things that are going to re-traumatize them. Um, and the same is true also actually for, you know, there's quite a lot of psychotherapists and counsellors and psychologists these days who also bring yoga into their talking therapy work, which is a really nice combination. Um, certainly quite a lot of psychologists come through my training. And um, again, that just makes really good sense to me because, if you're working in the field of therapeutics, you need to have that sort of knowledge. Um, and just before we before we wrap up, then for people who have kind of interested to learn more, firstly about the 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 topic, and then secondly about you, any sort of recommended reading, podcasts, Instagram accounts, you know, places to to go and learn more. Yeah, absolutely. So I would say the number one resource, and it's something that I recommend to everyone and is um, on the essential reading in my training, is The Body Keeps the Score, which is a book by Bessel van der Kolk, um, which is a really phenomenal sort of piece-by-piece piece explanation, again, of what happens to the nervous system when we respond to traumatic experience and how different modalities, not just yoga, it's also things like drumming, um, conscious dance, uh, tai chi, 
but certainly how these different modalities help us to heal and sort of reset the systems of the body. And that's very much an evidence-based book. Um, so for anybody who is doubting the science and who wants to understand the science, I always point them in that direction. And then I really like the work of Peter Levine, um, Stephen Porges, who teaches a lot about trauma and the um, something called polyvagal theory, which is a sort of an understanding of, of one of the branches of our nervous system and how uh, our ability to either connect or not with others is um, you know, directed by the vagus nerve. I love the work of Gabor Mate. These are all the big sort of like godfathers of, you know, trauma and trauma science. Um, and then they're the people that I would go to for, you know, the rigorous evidence basis that people might be searching for. Yeah. And that, that book, The Body Keeps Score, I read quite recently. I know I sort of spoke to you briefly about it previously. Um, yeah. It's, I mean, it's a, it's a difficult read because some of the case studies of the particularly, you know, the childhood abuse and things like that, the, the trauma itself is pretty horrific, but the, the way it's put together, it's a very easy read. It's very digestible. It's quite sort of, it's not big, long scientific prose and sort of chapters. It's quite small digestible chunks that I was amazed how clear it makes it and how easily it explains the science and it, it, it's a, it's a science book, not for scientists. It's a science book for people who have an interest and have an ability to kind of, you can pick it up and put it down rather. You don't need to kind of study it. It's a, it's a really good read. Um, and yeah, it, it's, yeah, like I say, not, not necessarily an easy read, but a, but a really good, good reader makes it clear why why yoga works why dance why theater as therapeutic um avenues to go down work for work for trauma in it yeah so I highly recommend that one as well um and how about you where can people learn more about you and kind of find out what you're what you're up to on an ongoing basis yeah so the two best places are through my website which is Ellie hyphen grace.com or through instagram um, my handle is ellie grace yoga and i provide quite a lot of free training and sort of information through my instagram um, accounts but i also send out weekly or twice weekly newsletters to yoga teachers who are looking to become trauma-informed and grow their business so you could sign up that as well either via my website or instagram great okay well thank you very much again for joining um i've really enjoyed it's been a fascinating fascinating conversation thank you very much thank you